This is the Weather Lounge here at Weatherworks. Well, hello, friends, and welcome back to the Weather Lounge. I'm your host, meteorologist Brad Miller, and our podcast, as always, comes to you from our Weatherworks headquarters here in Hackettstown, New Jersey. And joining me for this week's episode is my fellow weather prophet and meteorologist, Mike Mahalik. Hey there, Mike. Hey, Brad. How's it going? Uh, kind of biblical, biblical on that, don't you think? I don't know if I consider myself a, a biblical type wow. figure. Yeah, but um, you're still a, you're still a weather prophet. I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so what do we got going on this episode, uh, Brad? Because you know, uh, you know, we're starting off on a good foot. <laughs> yeah, I know, but you know what. <laughs> You know, thoughts of winter continue as we head deeper into fall and, you know, we're getting ready for the holidays now and, you know, Christmas is not far away. And before you know it, Mike, uh, people will be asking, you know, what's the chance of a white Christmas and things like that? Yeah, this is true. Um, actually, um, having my coffee here this morning and uh, I have a candy cane next to it. So you're talking about Christmas. I already got some candy canes going. And uh, it's it's quite a good flavor if you have a candy cane and coffee, so you get like the peppermint mocha kind of thing going on. And and you know what? And, and I know it's getting towards holiday season because Chris Castellano, uh, our Midwest forecaster and meteorologist here mm. at WeatherWorks, he uh, already sent me a Mariah Carey. Uh, oh no! Want for Christmas video? So. Oh no. Yeah, it's 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 a long. You know, you you've heard of that. It's an inside I joke. I know. <laughs> well, I'll tell you. There's not much you can do about it because I was listening to uh, this isn't a shameless plug or anything, but Sirius XM I was listening to, and I think the channel that was programmed on my truck was uh, the Billy Joel channel. Yes, I did. No, I did the same thing. I've been listening to Billy Joel, and now they've uh, switched it over. Right, and now they switched it over to Holly. So yeah, Holly channel. Yeah, here we are. Um, So anyway, uh, we're getting a little sidetracked there, but uh, you know. This is probably a good podcast, since we're talking about winter, talking about the holiday season, uh, to dedicate to some winter weather jargon uh, you're going to hear over the next probably, you know, four months or so here of the winter season. Yeah, you know, winter weather jargon uh, kind of tossed around the title a few times, but I think... Uh, <laughs> I, I think, think that was a... one of your uh, adamant statements that you needed to say jargon in this title. Uh, but hey... What are we going to do about it? I know. I just was thinking it would be a good uh, good way to grab the audience, you know, jargon. I just like the word, but you're right. But uh, anyway, to, to, to join us in today's podcast, uh, we're going to uh, invite our occasional host and, of course, our producer that we can never do this podcast without, Mike Priante. Hey there, Mike. Hey, guys. You know, I was looking up some uh, synonyms for jargon in case you're not looking uh, to keep that word, but uh, we got uh, balderdash. Uh, slang, vernacular, balderdash. Uh, balderdash. Isn't, isn't that like a game from the nineties? Sounds I think like it is. It. Uh, the lingo, the weather lingo. Lingo, I like that? that one. That now that mm. was another. That was a game show. Lingo, lingo this or is true. Like that. I think so. That's a playoff of bingo. I think. Yeah, 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 yeah. The the um, what was it called? That network, the game show network, right? Yeah, yeah right. They always they always play those. Uh, uh, all the reruns from all the old. Um, all the old game shows, like they still show reruns of like when Bob Barker was still on the price. Oh gosh, right. yeah. 
Yeah. My favorite used to be Press Your Luck. That was always fun with the, mm, with the funny, uh, no whammy, no whammy. Whammy. It's still yeah, on. <laughs> it's still it's, on. Yeah, the new yeah, one's yeah, still yeah. on. Yeah, they still have the new episodes, but um, but yeah, no, I mean, man, uh, good times. Um, and of course, I I was listening to your conversation about uh, some potential Christmas esque uh, things yeah. in November and. Hey, you know what? I know you guys are probably full into Christmas by now, but uh, I'm looking at the calendar and it is uh oh, it's it's not it's not December yet. So, um let's uh let's hold off on that Christmas uh, cheer. <laughs> yeah. Guys. Well, you know what? The television commercials and everything on social media, well, you know, they started the, with the Christmas. The commercials stuff. start coming on when it's like As soon as we turned the calendar to November, it was off. <laughs> yeah. Right. Oh well. So but no, I'm excited to talk a little bit of winter, though. I know it, it is still November, but, uh, you know, we do have wintry threats. I mean, we had wintry threats across the country already from the beginning of uh, October. Um, and our CST so, map continues to fill up. Oh, yeah. Our certified snowfall totals, shameless plug, um, uh, have been pretty much uh, full speed ahead here um, as we go into, uh, you know, the later part of the fall. But of course, going into actual winter, we have a couple of things we want to talk about. So... Uh, you know, I'm excited to, to dive into some of these uh, these weather uh, jargon, lingo, <laughs> uh, balderdash. I'm going to say balderdash. I like that better. But before we go into all of that, guys, let's just take a quick break and we'll be right back after this short message. So don't go away. Hey, everyone, it's Mike Prianti from the Weather Lounge here. And let me tell you, dehydration is no joke. I went through it myself once, and it's not fun. You get headaches, muscle spasms, cramps, the whole nine yards. But proper functional hydration is essential for just about everyone. Sometimes, though, water may not be enough, and that's where Liquid IV comes in. They're the number one powdered hydration brand in America, and their hydration multiplier is something you're most likely missing in your daily routine. You don't even have to be a sports professional to enjoy it either. With just one stick, you can hydrate twice as fast than using water alone. It has three times the amount of electrolytes than leading sports drinks, it's made from non-GMO ingredients, and it's chock full of essential vitamins. I personally enjoy the passion fruit flavor, but there are other great refreshing flavors you can choose from as well. So whether you're out landscaping, plowing a parking lot in a snowstorm, heading out for that afternoon jog, or even just feeling run down, Liquid IV is your go-to source for all hydration and wellness. Get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use code WEATHERLOUNGE, capital W, capital L, at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code WEATHERLOUNGE at liquidiv.com. Yeah, welcome back, everyone. And while we've covered most of these topics in some previous podcasts about winter weather terms, jargon, balderdash, whatever you want to call it, <laughs> um, if you listen to the intro, uh, I did look up balderdash. It was a game developed in the '80s, though. So okay. I was a little—I th- I said '90s. I was a little bit earlier than that. Uh, something about definitions of words and choosing the right one from your teammates to earn points. So mm. anyway. That's near the hero there. But uh, uh, so anyway, let's get into some of these winter weather terms or lingo or whatever you'd like to call it here for the season. And yeah, can I, can I go first, Mike? I, well, you know, if you're going to interrupt, go ahead. Yeah, I, I have some, <laughs> I have some great winter weather jargon I'd like to start with. And okay. the first one's going to be bombogenesis. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, just 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 dive right into the deep end. 
yeah, you there's a few right. others though that that could really you know take the cake here. But I think this is the this is the best one to start with at least. But you know what? Before I get to Bombo Genesis, we got to cover. I got to cover something else first. Actually, I'll cover two winter weather jargons in one here because you can't talk about Bombo Genesis without talking about a nor'easter. And of course, I think that's the most common term you'll hear, especially if you live in the Northeast on the East Coast, Midwest not so much. But um, you know, you hear about nor'easters basically as early as October doesn't always have to be snow, but you know, your typical nor'easter, it's a storm that develops somewhere along the East coast usually. And then it rides North, Northeast or Northeast up the coast usually impacts the mid Atlantic, most of the Northeast. And of course, New England, um, we use what we call the 4070 benchmark as a spot that you want to have the center of the storm at. And what that means is, you know, you, you want to center the storm somewhere near like 40 north latitude and 70 west longitude because that gets you the best, I guess, proximity to the storm where I-95 corridor will at least see a good, uh, you know, a good healthy snowfall out of it if it is cold enough, obviously. But um, but usually that's what we use, the old uh, 4070 benchmark. And you hear that kind of tossed around uh, sometimes even during the winter. Uh, but yeah, nor'easter, you can't go wrong with you know, using that as one of your first winter weather jargons. Now, Bombo Genesis. Wait, before you get on to Bombo, um, because I know you want to talk about that. Yeah, but, I know. Uh, the the forty seventy benchmark. Um, I thought that was something more for like New England folks um, to to hit the forty seventy, and, and then that's when they get the heavy snow running through. Well, yeah, New you know, England, the major does. cities, yeah, uh, Boston stuff. I I so the the forty. Yeah, sorry, Mike. But I was gonna say the the forty the forty seventy benchmark. Yeah, that's that's gonna be your criteria for good snow uh, up and up and down the ninety five stretch. So obviously a nor'easter, you know, doesn't have to go through the forty seventy. So it's not a nor'easter if it doesn't get to the forty seventy. But like Brad said, the forty seventy is kind of our like the, the the sweet spot for places like Boston, New York, even Philadelphia to an extent. But I think the farther west you go. You start to not so much, you know, oh, you're not going to get, you know, like any snow at all, but it just starts to kind of trail back. But, you know, we, we, we have the, the 4070 benchmark. We have uh, the coastal huggers, as we've heard before. Those are where it's inside the benchmark. And what happens there is the warmer air from the system you know, drags more ocean air. Exactly. So you have more mixing potential for more rain toward the shores. But on the upside, places like Scranton. You know, and uh, and maybe uh, parts and, you know, farther inland to Philadelphia could get some decent snow out of it while Boston probably rains. You know what? Maybe that's what I was thinking about, because I'm northwest of I-95 in eastern Pennsylvania. So I don't in my backyard, as people say, (laughs) you know, uh, I I am not I want it inside the 47. Yeah, that's true for Um, you, for me personally. But I guess for the 95, yeah, that works out well. And of course, there's subtleties too. I mean, you got to, you know, take into into effect the, uh, you know, the strength of the system. Is it strengthening? Is it weakening? You know, yeah. what time of the year it is, obviously. Sure. Also, but, you know, again. but yeah, I think the nor'easter pretty much got its name from the northeasterly strong winds that oh, yeah. accompany well, these storms. Yeah. Um, yeah. From the old, probably colonial days of when they started naming these type systems. So, um. Yeah, that's just true. I have to look that up. The historic uh, 
How 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 unreasonable? Win the name. Win the name Come on, Brad. You didn't look this up before we did this. I didn't podcast. look up that far. You didn't do your research. That's because really... he was so pumped to talk about Bombo Genesis. Okay, let's get to Bombo that Genesis. He, that he over gave an oversight to Nor'easter because he was like, yeah, yeah, Nor'easter, but I want to talk about Bombo Genesis. I just love terminology. That's just me. I like finding when what. what... Well, they're the buzzwords that you like to see. Uh, people like to use on TV and social media. Bombo Genesis. You know. <laughs> All right. Well, let's go, Brad. Bombo Genesis. It's basically just a rapid intensifying nor'easter. Um, over a 24-hour period, it's classified as bombogenesis. It's a drop of at least 24 millibars. So like a maybe a nor'easter that's going from 990 millibars all the way down to 966 within 24 hours. That's bombogenesis. So of course it can go faster than that and it can deepen even, you know, even further, you know, and, and get stronger. But you know, that's kind of the idea though, uh, 24 millibars in uh, 24 hours. So you start to see things like that, you know, it's a, it's a pretty serious system. So that's uh yeah. And I also heard, and I don't know if this is because someone said it and all of a sudden now, uh, it's catching on, or if this is also a thing that people call these storms. But when you go through bombogenesis, uh, I, I've heard the term bomb cyclone, mm. and uh, that's become a very big buzzword. Like we're getting a bomb yeah, cyclone, yeah. not a we're getting a nor'easter, yeah. a bomb cyclone. Like what is that? Um, and I mean, I think what that sounds like to me is that it's just well, obviously cyclonic. You know that we know what that is, um, but it's just taking the word bombogenesis, the process of uh, of storms rapidly deepening, and just adding it to a, a cyclonic system. So bomb cyclone. Uh, even though it's not a you know a tropical system, so to speak. yeah, I, it's just a riff on bombogenesis, basically. Uh, <laughs> you know, yeah. they're trying to make it you know sound a little more intimidating. I would say more clickbaity. Um, but it does uh, sound very clickbaity. Yeah, you know, it would make me click. You know, oh. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, but uh, normally, when I click on stuff like that, I'm just like, okay, what's this all about? You know, because <laughs> we know how things get blown out of proportion sometimes, and you know, we want to uh, make sure we reel that in for our clients who, who get our storm alert forecasts and things like that. Because if it's in the media like that, we're certainly going to be hearing about it uh, in questions and consultation, and we want to make sure that you know we provide the proper information. Uh, by the way, I did do some research. You're welcome, okay, Brad. Oh, there you go. Uh, about nor'easter, and uh, so uh, it actually, yeah, it, it was a, a term that was originated by the British, pretty much British English, uh, as early as the late 16th wow. century. Um, yeah, uh, by uh, John Davis in 1594, who mentions the word. Yeah, I was going to say that must be 1500. Yeah, the 1500s, but nor'east wow. by north raiseth a degree in saying 24 leagues whatever that means but pretty much this was written in like a in one of his in one of the dictionaries and uh and, and in one of his books um the seaman's secrets is what it's called um so it was basically as you kind of th thought it's a direction nor'east um and so a nor'easter is well kind of figure that out storms that have winds blowing out of the northeast um so yeah it's a really old term but um I just wanted to add a little tidbit before we jump into the next jargon. So I think it might be a good time to jump into Polar Vortex. The Polar um, Vortex. Since, okay. Yes. I mean, that's been a buzzword for the last several years. I don't, yeah. I don't know that's when big. they really caught on um, to that in the media. 
Um, but ooh, I think I do. Uh, I you know what? I don't want to interrupt you, Mike. I'm gonna go get something real quick. Okay, you continue your conversation. I'm okay. gonna get something. I'll be right back. <laughs> Perfect. I'll, I'll give some background to that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it caught on recently in the media, but um, this is actually something that's been basically discovered since the 1950s. Um, so it's been studied and it's basically a large area of upper, upper level low pressure that surrounds the North Pole and also the South Pole, honestly. Um, but basically it locks in the coldest air around the North Pole. So when does it affect us here in the Northeast and the Midwest and, and even in through the entire um, continuous United States uh, is when we have that polar vortex vortex, sorry, get disrupted. And then you have pieces of it starting to break off and funneling its way down into parts of uh, the United States. So that brings in really cold air and that usually doesn't affect the area without it. So, um, so it's not something that I just want people to understand that it's not something that um, like when the polar vortex is going to hit my backyard? Yeah, exactly. It's not like the polar vortex is going to arrive and you are going to you know, be inundated by right. snow and stuff like that. I mean, sure, a storm can accompany it as it dives in. But um, basically, we're just talking about cold air that is coming straight from the pole um, down into the area and you know, creating those record temperatures. And, and to build on that, Mike, and if you really like snow, um, you actually kind of want a weak polar vortex because that's when it gets wobbly. A strong polar vortex keeps all the Arctic air kind of locked in exactly. up around the North Pole. But you want that kind of wobbliness and kind of a weaker one where it kind of spreads the cold air southward in latitude and it kind of impacts then Europe and parts of, you know, North America, including the East Coast then and the Midwest. So, um, you know, if you hear of a strong polar vortex, it usually means it's not all that cold out. Yeah. So strong polar vortex will keep everything locked up in the poles. Like Brad said, the, the weak, the weaker polar vortex allows it to break into lobes and to, to break into our backyard. Um, so what hap- How does that happen? How does it break up? Well, there's some things that cause it to do that. One could be a, sa- a sudden stratospheric warming. Uh, that's way up in the upper atmosphere. Um, that can help weaken that polar vortex. And you can even have strong high pressure ridging and blocking that tends to break it up. And uh, and even intense uh, typhoons can kind of get wrapped up into the northern stream, um, into the polar jet and kind of disrupt the area. So there's several ways um, that that vortex can get disrupted and send some cold air our way. Um, but it looks like Mike is just itching um, to talk about what he was trying to find when he first heard about the polar vortex in the media, I think it was. It was, well, first I was in college. Um, so I have a shirt uh, that actually from Penn State, we made these shirts uh, because oh. it was uh, one of the, co- apparently based on the shirt, we set a first record low in state college since 2002. The low was negative nine degrees, January 7th. Mm. That was my first time ever experiencing below zero temperatures uh, Fahrenheit. Um, but yeah, it was the uh, the winter of 2014. You could see it, yeah. That's cool. Well, people that are listening won't be able to see this, but we're um, right, right. Yeah, so that's uh, that was when really the media took off. Uh, 2013, 2014 mm. was that really big out- outbreak. 
so this is this is really nice because you know Mike's like I was in college at Penn State. Uh, oh, I knew he was going to I knew he was going to bring this up. Yeah, a- absolutely. And I was like, oh, geez, I started at Weatherworks in two thousand eight. I mean, what? Uh, anyway, well, Mike, you and um, I, uh, we had that uh, that that morning below zero at the at the office, and we did our. Uh, Ooh, yeah, the water experiment. The, the hot, the boiling water experiment. Yeah, it's it's on a video somewhere on our YouTube channel. It is, yeah. Absolutely. Was a, that was a cool video. Um, yeah. I saw that. I've never done that before up until that day. That was cool. Yeah. Um, but uh, no, I mean, you know, I remember that year because, uh, I mean, the cold air, it was so cold. I don't remember how cold, but I do know that the vortex piece of it broke off and it dove right into like southeast the southeastern parts of the United States. I mean, it was really cold. Like Tennessee got into the teens, um, you know, places down there, they don't typically see that much cold air. So um, I wonder how cold it's going to be for this winter though. I wonder who could tell us Mike. <laughs> Me. Yeah. Mike, <laughs> didn't you do an episode uh, maybe a while back <laughs> talking about the winter season again? I'm, I'm all about the shameless plugs here. Uh, of course, yeah, yeah, we did have the the episode talking about the long range forecast and what we expect for the winter, and you know, just recapping that whole thing, we did expect um, the coldest air of the season to arrive in late January into February. That looks like the months um, that we'll be experiencing most of our wintry weather, or I should say, the most significant uh wintry weather um would be during that time and not that it's not going to be something mixy and things like that before we've already had a couple of events Um, especially in new england (laughs) yeah absolutely i know all about it i was forecasting it (laughs) do you mike (laughs) yeah mike's our new england Um, one of our new england forecasters yeah yeah a couple of uh overrunning events um you know a little moisture getting in there a little pretty good lift and yeah Got, got a little bit of snow to start the uh, early season, mostly over the interior, though. Um, you know, didn't get into places like Boston and all that. They might have had a few flakes, but that's about it. Um, but, um, but yeah, um, so great, Mike, that we now know, like, how old I am and how old Brad is. That's know, good. Thank are. you, as always. Um, no problem. But I, <laughs> Mike can I don't... say we are Penn State, and we can say we are old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's kind of how I felt when I went to a Penn State game for like the first time in 10 years uh, earlier this year. And I just the stadium chants are different. And I was just uh, <laughs> I don't know what's going on, man. Uh, um, but but anyway, Mike, you didn't go yet. So what do you got uh, for lingo? I was going to say, let me try to steer the direction of this uh, podcast before I get thrown out. Um, so. Uh, let's dive into something that New England gets a lot, and those are clipper systems. Mike, I'm sure you're very familiar with clipper systems. Um, in the yeah, Northeast. yeah, absolutely. Uh, moisture starved, uh, good times trying to figure out how much snow falls, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, and, you know, <laughs> and Mike, you, you can actually do a two for one here just like I did. I can. If, if you look, if you look ahead. Yeah. Let me take a look here and see um, with our next term. You're gonna have to refresh my memory here, Brad. All right. What, what do you think just... um, uh, I should I should pair this up with? It's possible that you know uh, it looks like snow squalls are on the list. That may follow the Clipper. You know what? I'll if uh, it's a stretch. You know what? Okay. So let's. What I'm gonna do is, <laughs> guys, I'm going to start with Clipper, and we're gonna make our way to snow squall and see how that works. Perfect. Um, there you so go. anyway, so Clipper is what I was about to say is usually 
well, not usually, but sometimes they're associated with, you know, the word Alberta, because a lot of the times these systems develop around Alberta, Canada. Uh, Alberta Clippers, they're known as Canadian Clippers sometimes because the track of these storms pretty much take it right across the northern border of the U.S. and Canada, across North Dakota, Minnesota. They usually, you know, graze the Great Lakes. Uh, and then, of course, they make their way into, you know, the Northeast. Um, and as Mike said, they are moisture starved. There's, you know, we're not getting a lot of that moisture coming out of the Gulf like you would with a nor'easter. Um, you know, you're not going to get these bombing out. There's no bombogenesis to speak of really with clipper systems, at least when they're over land, um, as they're coming in, you know, they're, they're not really strong systems, but what they do have is that cold air, though, that Arctic air coming in from Canada. Um, and what that usually does is, you know, it, it helps the, the snow consistency, um, uh, because when you have a lot of moisture with the system, uh, we call these uh, snow ratios. I don't know if you ever heard of 10 to 1, 15 to 1, you know. These are snow ratios. For every inch of liquid, you'll get 10 inches of snow. Uh, these storms could be as high as 20 to 25 per 1, um, which means that, you know, what you would typically get out of a regular storm, you know, consistent, you know, 10, 11 to 1 inches, or 10, 11 inches to 1, uh, you would get 25 inches. Um, so that means that this snow is very fluffy. It's very light. It's the kind of snow where it almost looks like powder, where you could just take a, a leaf blower and blow it around. Um, but that also means that you probably get more snow out of these systems. Um, not the kind of good snow for making snowmen, fortunately, um, or snowballs, you know. So if you have any kids, they're, you know, they'll be out there, they'll, having, they'll be having fun, but uh, making snowmen, probably not, not the best kind of snow for that. But a lot of snow, nonetheless, out of these systems. So they're kind of sneaky. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, a lot of snow in reference to the amount of liquid that gets produced. So if you only have 0.1 of liquid that falls, you know, you might get two, two and a half inches of snow, uh, possibly even three inches of snow out of it. But again, like Mike said, very fluffy right, stuff. Exactly. Now, something that Brad, something that Brad did not mention um, is, uh, you know, with the terminology, because I love terminology here. Uh, of course, Alberta Clippers take their name from, well, obviously, Alberta, Canada. Um, and Clippers, does anyone know what a Clipper is? It's a ship. It's a ship, yeah. yes. It's a, a ship uh, from the 19th century. I'm very well um, versed. Uh, okay. oh, Mike is apparently a shipologist. Is that a thing? <laughs> no, not in ships. Um, <laughs> ship with a P. Um, well, no, no, that's what I said. A I thought you said chips, right. like potato chips. chips? Oh, a chip. chipologist, like uh, that's not what like, I was like thinking, ruffles anyway. or lays or something like that. No, <laughs> um, um, no, but uh, but no, I mean, yeah, Clipper systems uh, kind of take their name really from from the ships and of course Alberta. But the term wasn't coined until the late 1960s by a NWS meteorologist. His name is Reinhardt Harms. Yes. Uh, he noted, now again, Clipper system, Clipper ships are pretty fast. Actually, they were the fastest ships in the 19th century. Um, he noted how fast these systems are. And if you notice, Alberta Clippers, they, they're pretty fast. Like, they don't last very long. They're in and out. They're out. You know, they're not, like, going to stay over a day or two. They're probably in and out in, like, a couple hours, like, four to five hours. They're done. Um, so he noted that. He saw how fast they're moving through and, um, so he kind of was like, you know what? They're almost like clippers, like, like ships that would go really fast. And so, you know, he put two and two together when they, where they came from. And all of a sudden you have Alberta clippers. So you can thank, uh, Reinhardt for, uh, for giving us this, this term. So, yeah. Perfect. Um, 
Other names, by the way, before we jump into other terms, uh, Saskatchewan Screamer. Yeah, oh, God, gonna say, you're going to... Yeah, were you going to go into this? Because I, I, I was... I was going to go into nice. this. Sorry, were you going to go into it, Mike? No. I didn't mean to go ahead. take your thunder. Uh, we got the Manitoba Mauler. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't the, know if these names were like actual things I've or if they them. were just like kind they're, of... They're not as common. They're not as common right. as, um, you know, as, as other Maybe things. Maybe they should be more common, though. Those are good ones. They should. They they should be, yeah. Um, but another one's the Ont- Ontario Screamer. Or sorry, Wait. not Screamer. Saskatchewan. Saskatchewan Screamer, sorry. Yes. Uh, the Ontario Scario. Sorry. Well, I never heard of that one. <laughs> okay. I've heard of Saskatchewan Screamer. I've heard of Watch Manitoba Mall. Ontario Scario, guys. Um, you know, I, I got to say, I've never really been scared from something dropping out of Ontario. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's just does not have enough time to get going. No, you're right. It's, coast, it's, still, so. it's too far east. Um, yeah. But hey, you know what? I mean, there you go. Now you all know what a, a Saskatchewan screamer is. Whenever you hear it, it's not it's not a bear. It's not a it's not it's not, it's not a yeti. It's uh it, it's a clipper system. I'd like to go to Saskatchewan um, one day and visit the town of Moose Jaw. One of my life goals. <laughs> That's anyway. well, there you have it, folks. Well, Brad hey. wants to go to Canada. Um, but uh, the next one we have on the list is Brad said I should do two at the same time. Yeah. Uh, no squalls because they sometimes. What were you going to say, Brad? They come in with those Saskatchewan screamers. Yeah. Uh, you know, typically snow squalls, you know, you have them kind of coming in with, uh, you know, deep troughs with, with you know, bowling ball vorts, kind of yeah, a lot of energy true. in the atmosphere. It's cold. Um, you think of snow squalls almost like thunderstorms. And I know we mentioned this in the podcast and on older episodes talking about snow squalls, but these are the sneaky kind of snow that don't last very long. They typically can last like maybe five to 15 minutes. Uh, maybe a little longer than that, but they're very quick. Just yeah, they're like problematic though, too. They are very problematic. Um, they can reduce visibility to you know less than a mile, you know half a mile. I mean, they're very very sudden too. You know, you may be driving on the road and you look in the distance and you see just kind of a wall of white headed towards you, and all of a sudden it hits you and you can't see the car in front of you. Um, it, again, it's very very similar in, I guess. Uh, visibility to fog you really can't see and then of course you have the added you know the added uh, unfortunate um thing to it is you have the wind you have the snow uh and just makes conditions not not fun to drive and very dangerous i mean we've seen tons of car pileups 50 car pileups because of snow squalls um which is why the national weather service has actually recently in i think it was a couple of years right they, they now issue snow squall warnings um, which actually get pushed to phones because these things are these are dangerous. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And not only that, they drop the temperature like to that crucial level. I mean, it, it could be it could be partly sunny and thirty eight degrees, and you know, thinking, oh, it's not a bad afternoon here, middle of January. But yeah, like you said, Mike, if you get one of those snow squalls, that temperature can quickly drop to thirty two at the height of the squall. You got the moisture on now the road, and it just turns into black ice so fast, which we'll talk about later. Um, but you know, it's, it's, yeah. It, and we've seen several, uh, un- unfortunate examples of that, uh, over the last couple of years. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I do find, uh, snow squalls rather interesting though, um, because of its such, uh, impactful snow so quickly. Um, I would say it's gotta be up there with one of my more interesting winter weather yeah. phenomena. I mean, obviously, you know, blizzards and things like that right you know 
mm-hmm. top of the food right. chain. But, and you know uh, what's also odd with the the snow squalls like that is is the radar doesn't always tell the story because you know the the radar beam obviously is going up as it leaves the actual radar site. A lot of the times these snow squalls are underneath the beam and it won't catch it. Like you'll say, oh well, it just looks like a little snow shower, a couple flurries there. But you know the 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 bulk of the moisture is underneath the beam, so you can't really you don't notice it, but you'll see it on cams and stuff like that, and it won't match up with the radar sometimes. You know, it's interesting. I I think I could segue into, since we did talk about the snow squalls and dropping temperatures and a little bit of black ice, we can kind of run right into the black ice flash freeze sort of idea um, here because uh, you might hear that several times over the winter too. And, you know, a snow squall situation could be one um, that causes a problem, especially if it is warmer to start. Maybe it's along and these squalls are along an Arctic front, um, you know, coming down from Canada. Um, so temperatures drop quickly behind that. So maybe the roads don't accumulate that much. Um, they end up being wet. And then once you get those temperatures to fall, you could have a flash freeze situation. Um, especially if you're going into sunset and, and into the nighttime, um, you know, as long as the winds aren't too high to dry things out. Um, but yeah, those are some situations where flash fle- freezes can occur. Um, same sort of thing can happen on the backside of uh, the nor'easter that we talked about. Um, this is something that typically happens in uh, New England, um, where the storm may be moving out. Um, however, cold air starts filtering down on the backside of the storm and they were just raining. And now all of a sudden we're dropping well below 32 and everything starts freezing up. Um, so certainly have some flash, flash freezing in that instance too. Um, and black ice kind of goes with the flash freeze. Um, but I think the important thing about black ice is that it's one of those times where things get icy and you can't really see it on the road. Um, that's why you call it black ice because wet, right, right. The road looks wet. You know, you see the black asphalt, um, but it's below freezing and it's icy, uh, and you just don't realize it. So black ice can be a very dangerous situation for, and before you know it, it's too late and you can't do anything about it. So that's one thing that really needs to be paid attention to. So if you see warnings about there could be some black ice formation, um, that's certainly um, something you want to pay attention to if you're going out traveling. Um, And sometimes this black ice can even form when we have like a pavement frost situation almost. Um, so we pavement frost, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, we all see frost form on our cars, form on the grass, form on rooftops, but frost can form on pavements too. Um, it's it's not out of the question, and typically, this happens when you have uh, a very cold air mass in place, keeping those pavements really cold. Um, well below freezing. And then you might have some extra moisture uh, get added into the picture. And maybe the temperatures are actually rising a little bit along with those dew points. You're still below freezing, but you're getting that extra moisture. You're getting those temperatures to come up. So 
you start getting the frost to form and that can form right on the pavement kind of like if you took an ice cream sandwich or something like that you know out of the freezer and then you get the um you know the ice forming on the outside of the frostiness or maybe you have a uh an ice cream float or something and the outside of the glass turns frosty i know i'm like man i could really use one right now i was gonna uh, say I'm <laughs> right back i'll, I'll be right back guys. um yeah so yeah so those are some things you we really pay attention to you know, a lot of our meteorologists uh, train about this too um because it is an impactful thing pavement frost um that can cause a lot of accidents because people aren't really aware of it um, as a normal thing that happens. Um, so something we really pay attention to in the wintertime. Um, and, you know, something that Mike mentioned about, you know, you can't see it. It sometimes looks wet. Um, and this is going to segue into what Brad's about to talk about. Um, Cause I think this sort of talking about ice kind of uh, it, it, it actually, it makes sense to talk about it afterwards because um, so many times we see uh, it rain, you know, the day before um, and the winds are really light and skies go clear. And, and so many times, you know, we see people don't really they don't really understand like, you know, oh, it, everything is wet. It was in the 40s. And all of a sudden, you know, a couple hours later into the evening, it drops into the low 30s, upper 20s. And, and the pavements really cool down quick. And you have just a, a, a horrible black ice situation, tons of ice everywhere, um, you know, and, and I've seen it multiple times. People don't realize that it's about to happen and, and it could cause some problems, you know, sometimes we're out there um, and uh, it just makes for a really bad driving situation. So, uh, but, but ice is really nothing to really, uh, you know, take lightly. So, yeah. So that, yeah, like you said, Mike, that'll take us into freezing rain. And, and we've talked about this before and we've had it on other podcasts, but again, it's something that, you know, we need to just discuss, uh, once again, as we head into the winter and, and basically freezing rain is, is it's rain that's falling as liquid. Um, a lot of folks kind rain of... always falls as liquid, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> You are correct. <laughs> you got them. But the difference Boom. here is, yeah, it, it, it's 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 going to freeze on contact and it's going to fall as liquid. And um, I mean, you could have freezing rain. You know, of course, you need the surface to be 32 or below to have the freezing rain. But I've seen, you know, freezing rain with temperatures in the mid 20s. You would think it's got to be snow. It's got it's 26 degrees out. It's got to be snowing. But if that uh, cold air is uh, just shallow enough where you're not making uh, snowflakes above, um, you know, it, it, it could still freezing, have freezing rain at those low temperatures, And that's when you get into big problems because, you know, it's, it's it, that cold when you're five, six degrees below freezing, it's going to freeze on contact with everything, including the pavements, including the sidewalks. And it just, it, it's the worst precipitation, winter precipitation you can have. Um, you know, I'd rather have a foot of snow to remove. And I'm sure a lot of our clients would than trying to deal with, you know, the impacts of, uh, a couple of hours of freezing rain because it's just ice on top of ice. And it's just so hard to, to, to just remove and take care of. Right. I mean, so many times I've gotten questions from, you know, consultation calls saying, Oh, it's raining. We're good. Right. And you go, Oh man, it's still 28 degrees. So no, you're, you're going to be in, in, in bad shape. And, um, you know, from a, snow and ice industry standpoint yeah it's one of those more difficult things to handle because basically you salt it so no ice forms 
Um, but then it keeps freezing rain on top of that. The freezing rain continues to fall and then it dilutes your salt or product that you put on your pavements and then things start freezing up again. Then you got to come out and salt it again. So you might make two, three, four, five salting runs trying to keep your property free of ice, um, especially on a zero tolerance type situation site. And um, yeah, I mean, you're just going to use up those salt supplies very quickly. Um, and, and that's why it's one of those things that you know, the snow and ice industry isn't super thrilled to see. They'd rather just have the clipper there that Mike talked about um, with the with the two, three inches of fluffy snow. Scrape it off real quick and, and, and you're in good shape. And and it's also difficult for these uh, snow and ice contractors because, as you said, it not only dilutes, but when you have to go out there to, you know, right before the system actually happens, like if you have a forecast and there's going to be freezing rain, um, yeah, but you can't really pre-treat types. You can't pre-treating is it, it's a gray area, right? You know, if you go out there to pre-treat, but it's going to be pouring rain a couple hours before it drops below 32, it's not worth it. Um, right. Sometimes these guys have to go out as temperatures start to drop so that their product doesn't get diluted to the point where it just won't be effective when it starts to get cold. Um, so, and I've seen so many times people decide to pre-treat well in advance and then, you know, they wonder why, why is nothing working? Well, you, you went there too early. Um, and it, it's just a bad situation all, all around. I, w- I wish we didn't have freezing rain. I wish it was banned from forecasting. Like, <laughs> no freezing rain, you're either snow or your rain. Yeah. Boy, God, that would make it so much easier, wouldn't it? Oh yeah. Man. Okay. Can we like put a, a suggestion into the suggestion box for the atmosphere for and it. send it to ma nature it. yeah hey 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 ma nature no freezing rain this winter yeah and and also no sleet oh um, sleet yeah. there you go let's move yeah. right Mike, into do you know more about sleet P-type. yeah right so yeah this is another thing that sometimes gets confused um where people might say you know, in the middle of winter, it's hailing out or something like that. Um, but it's not hail. Um, hail is something that happens by a different process in, in the summertime in thunderstorms. Um, but what happens with sleet, it's still balls of ice falling from the sky. So that's what sleet and hail are, you know, are, are both technically. But um, sleet forms in a different process where you have the snowflakes falling from the cloud. It runs into a a warm layer melts the snowflake into a drop and then there's another cold layer below that that's thick enough to freeze that raindrop into a sleep pellet which is like the size of a bb or something like that um so that's what sleet's all about and that's another thing that's a struggle um when it comes uh, to trying to clear it um personally I've dealt with it in a past life, I could say, when I was uh, uh, snow plowing uh, for a landscaping company. And, uh, you know, sleet is just a hard thing because, first of all, it doesn't respond to the icers as quickly, um, you know, because they're balls of ice, not, you know, fluffy snowflakes. And secondly, it's harder to push, um, you know, especially if you don't have a a pusher box and stuff like that for your parking lot and you're just using a regular straight blade it just falls off the ends of the plow it's hard to get it where you want it to go 
Um, and even with the pusher box, it, it could get quite heavy quickly uh, yeah, once you dense. start getting Right. So you're going to need some pretty heavy machinery and loaders and things like that to push it around. Um, so I, one of the worst sleet things was, this is way before Mike Priante's time, uh, Valentine's Day, I think it was 2007, I want to say. I was I was I was alive then. You, you yeah, well, think I was born like well, in 2008. You were around, but you were like I don't know in elementary school. I was living down south, so I don't remember that one. I remember that storm. Excuse me. I remember. <laughs> I remember leaving school. I'm not going to tell you what what grade. This is in the Northeast, by the way. I remember leaving school, and that was that. You were going to say that that was a storm that dropped like what, like four or five inches of sleet, right? Oh, it was so much sleet. Um, I was, no, I, was in the... was I was like jumping in it when I was coming from school. It was, yeah. it was fun, but you know. Yeah. And this, this occurred uh, Eastern Pennsylvania, parts of New Jersey, uh, stuff like that. And that's you know, my neck of the woods. So um, yeah, it was just one of those things where it just kept sleeting. And that's hard to do because sleet's usually a, a transitional precipitation type. It's usually right. when you're going from rain to snow or vice versa. But to have that long and extended amount of time asleep so it accumulates to that you know effect oh geez i couldn't even imagine right and uh, you know i was out trying to plow this stuff and i was just praying to god that can you just turn over yeah. the snow um because this is getting so difficult and i remember even leaving and trying to drive on it was difficult because you know going from site to site because it was almost like driving on ball bearings and it felt like my truck wasn't even in four-wheel drive i had to get out and check if the hubs were locked on the front wheels and you know all this kind of stuff and uh you know it, it was uh it was one heck of a storm with regard to sleet um so yeah i mean sleet also makes things denser um uh, if you have a uh all snow it's easier to work with and snow and sleet mix um so yeah i mean sleet is uh one of those tough deals and grapple is sort of i would say related in a sense um but this is something that typically happens in more of a snow squall um where you get uh, a snowflake getting rhymed in ice um, there must be, there's a layer of, uh, super cool water droplets or something like that within the cloud, um, that allows the snowflakes to get rhymed up. And then they look like a lot of people say dipping dot, dipping dots oh, or whatever. Dipping dots. Um, yeah, that's what it looks like. It looks like little, like it broke up a bunch of styrofoam and that, that's kind of what it looks like, um, when it falls. And they do happen in snow squalls at times when temperatures are marginal. Um, so that's certainly... Uh, another aspect um, to think about in the winter. Um, what do we got next? Oh, it's a good question. Who, who do we, who we have next? <laughs> who could be talking next? Hey, while we're thinking about what's going next, uh, I, it got me thinking when we were talking about Clipper, um, thinking about the Yankee Clipper, which is the nickname of Joe DiMaggio. Oh, yeah. oh, and yeah. I was like, hey, I wonder if, um he got it from the same idea and it is he got it from the sailing okay. ship the cl uh, the clipper ships and i guess it's because he um was so swift in playing center field um that he can shag down all the balls very fast so they called him the uh, yankee clipper um, what about the what about the la clippers maybe they're just fast you know what 
yeah, that's a good question. I, you know, I, I don't know. We'll have to let's get our producer to yeah, look yeah, that he up. Likes to do that. Oh. Oh, oh yeah, uh, he's on. You know what? The podcast, this podcast so. is not called the Clipper Podcast. <laughs> so we'll... all right, I'm just going to talk about what blizzards are, and they're not the things from Dairy Queen. So let's just put that out there. Blizz... Oh, those are so good, though. Blizzard, you know they are. They are good. Have you ever? Have you ever? Uh, you've done the blizzard test, right? You you've stuck it upside down and it doesn't come out. Oh you know, yeah, absolutely. They used to do that before they handed right, it to right. you. I mean, this is. I saw a video back in the days when malls were a thing. I saw a video right. of someone who did that and, 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 and the poor girl did it. And then like, after like, I guess she did it too long and it just all fell out on top of the counter. Oh, no. oh, it was no. not good. I guess maybe it wasn't cold enough or it was probably like, I think what happened was, is it was like, they were waiting to give it to the person and the person asked them mm. to do it. And I guess she didn't realize cause it'd been sitting out there for a little bit of time. So it started to melt a little bit. Okay. And so it just all plopped out. Mm. Um, but Oreo cookie vanilla blizzard was my go-to. Butterfingers were good. I they get stuck in your teeth. Love. Butterfingers? Yeah. Yeah. But the Oreo cookie one, man. Ooh. Well, the types of blizzards. Go find a Dairy Queen. <laughs> the types of blizzards we deal with here in the Northeast don't don't rely on 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 the you know the very thick ice cream. Um, but blizzards, you know, they, they happen across the country, right? Um, but I think they're overused. The, the term is overused, blizzard. I mean, I hear sometimes saying People saying, oh, it's a blizzard out there. It's like, is it really? Is it, is it tri- typically a blizzard? Because there are actually pretty strict guidelines for what a blizzard has to be. Just just because you're getting 40 inches of snow doesn't mean it's a blizzard. And you can get a blizzard in like five inches of snow. I mean, it, it depends on the wind. The wind is the big criteria for blizzard conditions. Um, and visibility, right? Visibility too. Yeah, it's visibility and wind. I mean, those, those are the, pretty much the, the only criteria used to be um, cold i think they dropped that yeah i i guess i, I guess no cold misnomer but i guess i guess they realize hey it's cold in a it's cold in winter it's cold in a snowstorm i mean i don't know how many snowstorms you've gone out there and you're like boy it's it's balmy out there it's let me take my jacket it. off no <laughs> maybe maybe after like maybe like the, maybe in like north dakota yeah. uh they, they they take their jackets off and it's like 28 and it's like oh it's balmy out there you know it's like all right whatever um, but the criteria is that winds have to be, uh, I believe it is over uh, 35 miles an hour, gusts and sustained. Um, and yes. I don't know exactly how long they have to be. I think it's like... A, 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 it's gust or sustained, or sustained at 35, right. Um, mm-hmm. There's another th- criteria called a severe blizzard. A severe Ooh. blizzard has winds over 45 miles an hour, um, near zero visibility. I should say quarter mile or less is what a blizzard is. Um but near zero, uh, 45. And actually, funny enough, uh, I, I didn't see this in, in the definition, but apparently that uh, cold, uh, I guess, criteria comes back for a severe blizzard, Brad. Uh, you have to have temperatures below oh, okay. 10 okay. degrees Fahrenheit is okay. a severe blizzard. Mm. Um, and what place on Earth has severe blizzards pretty pretty often? Plains. Anybody guess? Imagine. No. Uh I'm going to go with Antarctica. You uh, are correct, sir. Down there, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you got to think of that. It's it's a very flat area, you know? I mean, there's nothing really in the way for, like, there's no friction at all. Um, it, it's just pretty much just going to blow across. Um, so, yeah, I mean, very, very, very easy to do. And out there, sometimes they can have winds over 60, 70 miles an hour. So we're talking like a hurricane blizzard, pretty much. Hurricane force gusts in, 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 a, in a cold environment. Um, 
there's another thing called a ground blizzard. Um, and, and a ground blizzard is, is really not with actual falling precipitation. And sometimes in a storm, you know, it, it's tough to see whether or not it's actually falling from the sky when the winds are so strong. Um, but a ground blizzard is basically when the winds are strong enough, but the snow has ended, but it's still blowing around off the roofs, cars on the ground. Um, you know, really the only difference is there's no precip falling from the sky. It's just the wind is blowing it around. So, so yeah. Uh, other, other terms for blizzard, um, a blast, a blister, a bluster, uh, hey, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm just reading it as I find it. All right. I I love etymology. It's a blizzard. Uh, it's a blizzard. Well, the definition, (laughs) the, the, the modern definition was, uh, coined in the, you know, in the 1850s and it became common in the media, the press back in the late 1800s, um, the blizzard of 1888, might it have something to do with that? Um, but yeah, blizzards are, are very common. Uh, not very common, but they're they're commonly used. Um, but not all the time are blizzards blizzards. So make sure you, uh, next time you get a snowstorm, make sure you say, is it a blizzard out there or is it just heavy snow? Right, yeah. Look at Remember the criteria. We're looking for the sustained wind, frequent gusts of 35 or more, and falling, blowing snow, reducing visibility less than a quarter mile for three hours or more. So even if you get two hours and then you get an hour in there, you know, that doesn't do it. And then you get it back to below a quarter mile. Yeah. You got to be consecutive on that. Um, so, but yeah, so that's blizzard. Some, sometimes you can get some blizzard conditions in lake effect snow. Yeah, you can honestly. Um, and I'm sure everybody who lives in close proximity to the Great Lakes, knows about lake effect snow and the immense amount it can produce in a short amount of time. But basically, uh, how lake effect snow forms is that you have uh, warmer lake water and you have very cold air blowing over that warmer lake water. So basically, it picks up all that moisture coming off the lake and deposits it basically downwind um of the great lakes uh and you get lake effect snow typically you want a 13 degree difference between the lake temperature and temperatures at 850 millibars which is about 5,000 feet or so um so that's what your criteria is to get the lake effect snow to happen and yeah i mean it's a it's a very impactful phenomenon around the lakes especially when you get a single band coming off the Great Lakes, which happens when you have the winds going pretty much parallel um, to the length of the lake, the longest length of the lake. And we had a record-breaking lake effect last year, 2022. Yeah, that was, uh, what was that, outside of Buffalo there? Yeah, that was the big boy. Yeah, Yeah, that, I, I forget exactly how much snow fell out of that, but I know it was... It was over 70 inches in some spots. Right. Yeah, I think it was something up that high. Um, and yeah, I, one of our clients actually went out there to yeah, aid in yeah. the situation uh, out there. And, uh, you know, he was helping out with uh, a snow melter and, um, you know, trying to get rid of that snow because there was so much to... You can only put so much snow in so many places. You got to get rid of it, I guess, somehow. <laughs> right. So, and yeah, snow melting is, is a, is a good idea. You know, you dump the snow into the melter, it 
puts it into water, it goes down the storm drain. Pretty good idea, I'd say. And we did have an episode with him, by the way. Another plug here, if you want to really learn how that storm actually impacted yeah, people. when he went down there. Um, yeah, that was, I believe, looking back in our archive, that was back on December 14th was the episode uh, in question, uh, revisiting the November 2022 Lake Effect yeah, events. Yeah, it's about a year anniversary now, yeah. Yeah, it's 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 getting getting close to it. So if you want to know more about it, and we talked to um, uh, Jake Shivo from from JSP Properties, uh, you know he uh, he was a great guy on the podcast. You know, check it out um, whenever you can after you listen to this episode. But the important thing, uh, thanks for uh, yeah, throwing that in there, Mike. That's definitely a good episode uh, for people to listen to about lake effect snow. Um, but it, lake effect snow, the rates that occur within it are. are incredible um talking about three four five six inches an hour uh, <laughs> can happen at times it's pretty amazing um and i i know i've said this in previous podcasts but four inches an hour was the most that i've seen so the, um that's unimaginable how quickly the snow is accumulating um so if you're getting that in lake effect snow now you know why uh, you can get 60 70 inches falling in an event um, very quickly. And sometimes in lake effect snow, you get thunder snow too, um, which is quite interesting. I haven't quite experienced thunder snow, meaning lightning and thunder within a snowstorm. Um, I'm still uh, trying to find that. The closest I've gotten was when we were having sleet and it thundered. Um, that was in Hackettstown back in the old days. Uh, <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, thunder snow is, is certainly a fun thing. And, and one thing you see, you know, guys like, you know, Jim Cantori on TV, you know, uh, in his blizzard and, and getting his thunder snow and, and, and freaking out, I'd probably do the same thing, honestly, uh, <laughs> because I haven't technically experienced thunder snow per se. That's a, that's, um. It, that's the coolest thing I think about. Yeah, any kind of winter storm, I would imagine. But you know what's cooler than that, Brad? Uh, the last thing that we're going to be talking about today. <laughs> Our last winter weather jargon. Do I get the... Uh, Which I think <laughs> you have a little bit of a history with yeah. because of your name. I, I, again, you may have to do the history back check on this. I don't know how it got its name, but... Um, yeah, so kind of re going going back to nor'easters, and I think we covered this also in another pod, uh, podcast when we we did uh, what was called Under the Hood of a Winter Storm, which was really I thought one of our best podcasts ever. You got a little meteorolog little meteorologically, you know, inclined and in, and in, in terms and stuff like that, and how how the atmosphere works with you know cold conveyor belts, warm conveyor belts. A little technical, but it was a good podcast. But anyway, there's uh there's two types of nor'easters really. One's a Miller A, ha, ha, ha. Miller, Brad Miller, and the other one's a Miller B. Yeah. So how about a Miller Light? Oh, well, that that was yeah, that that's funny you say that, because that was kind of like my nickname in, in college. <laughs> I'm not a big mm. dude. I'm a little guy, but, you know, it has nothing to do with the beverage. Miller B is perfect, yeah, though. True. I mean, because you got yeah. Brad as the so, first name. So you the know, Miller A like... storms, it, typically Nor'easters have two separate two types of tracks usually uh the first one is called the miller a and that's when it originates actually down in the gulf of mexico actually the the, the low pressure system itself kind of develops there 
and, and a good example of this is actually the storm of the century. And we're going way back to 1993, but this was a classic Miller A where it kind of gathered strength. It, it basically bombed out in the Gulf of Mexico. And then it just rode northeast up the East Coast and just didn't miss a spot up and down the East Coast. I mean, it was just one of those, uh, you know, storms that just nobody missed it. Um, but, you know, it produced heavy snow from Maine all the way down into Georgia and uh, severe weather in uh, Florida. I mean, that, again, that's that's like one of the big worst case scenarios. Uh, but that that's in Miller A when it develops down the Gulf and it kind of goes right up the East Coast and brings everyone lots of snow. Now, the Miller B, a little different. Uh, this, this is more of a, a clipper-ish type system almost. Um, it's, it's not really a, a strong storm. It's coming across usually the Midwest into the Ohio Valley. And it's actually weakening as it hits the Appalachians. Um, but at the same time, it's kind of transferring of en its energy, if you will, to like the North Carolina coast, somewhere in the Mid-Atlantic. And that's where it really starts getting its act together. Um, yeah, it's going to bring some heavier snows in the Mid-Atlantic and into maybe like New Jersey and even into Pennsylvania along the I-95 corridor. But usually the Miller-type systems, they peak for New England. And that's usually who gets the, 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 the bonus snows out of a Miller-B system. So Miller-A, Gulf of Mexico, up the East Coast, Miller-B, kind of a Midwesty clipperish type system that redevelops uh, off the Mid-Atlantic. Yeah, and if you want to see examples of Miller B storms, just go look back at the 2013-14 <laughs> winter, um, because I think every single one was a Miller B that there was some sort of clipper energy, then a bomb bombogenesis situation possibly uh, off the off the East Coast, and just New England just kept getting crushed, um, you know, with with foot plus type storms. Um, uh, it was quite, quite amazing. Um, it was almost like after a certain amount of time, our clients were like, oh, what are we getting this time? About a foot? And like, yeah, about a foot, maybe two. And they're like, okay. <laughs> you know, at that point it was just like, Ugh. yeah, okay. And, and then if I said like, you know, this one might produce like three to six, they'll be like, oh, that's it. <laughs> you know, that's so. dusting now compared to what we've been yeah, doing. Yeah, we're good with that. I mean, they were like, I don't know where I'm going to put it, but, you know, at least it's not a foot. So if you know, uh, you know, your history, um, and actually there's a blog article on weatherworksync.com about the Miller classification, um, and researcher J.E. Miller, so it was a Miller, Brad. I don't know if he's a, a, a relative of yours. That was my uncle, um, yeah, that was my uncle uh, Jay. Uncle yeah. Miller. <laughs> uh, it's Uncle, uncle Leo. Leo. <laughs> yeah, he came up with the system back in 1946. Um, so yeah, there you go. Um, obviously I don't think they would have just been like, you know what? Let's just call it Miller out of nowhere. It has to be someone's name, like Alberta, Alberta Clippers from Alberta. Yeah. That's usually what we get. Yeah. But I, you know what guys, I, I think we're running a little bit over here. Yeah. There's other jargon out there, but you know, you got any questions, you know, email us or, you know, send us something on social media. We'll talk about it. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, you mean weather boulder dash? <laughs> <laughs> lingo weather lingo i like that right right absolutely but uh yeah that is it uh for our podcast this week and thanks everybody for listening i'm sure you enjoyed all the weather lingo and jargon that we had to throw out there for you um but maybe now you have a little better understanding um about what you may be dealing with when you hear these words uh on your local weather forecast so 
again, that is it. Thanks for listening. And be sure to visit weatherworksinc.com, our parent company, and also visit Weatherworks on all the social media channels, uh, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, X. I think it's called X now, of course. Um, so um, absolutely find us there. So that's it for this week's episode. And we'll see you in two weeks. Bye.